0: And verses 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3. And if you haven't got a Bible there, just have a listen. Here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance.
1: wondering where my notes were and Ben already had them up here. So I think we've got a consensus on the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. We'll just deal with that. That's good. That's good, good advice. Um, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Amen. Can you hear me okay with this by itself? Is that okay? Yep. Let's see how that goes. All right. Um, I'm a little nervous about this today because it's probably one of the hardest talks I've done, hardest topics. Um, Ben touched on the, the cruisiness of Evans Head and how it's easy to, um, I guess, just focus on the, on the beautiful beaches and the sunrises and sunsets. And that's great, God's given us that. Um, I'll just start with a little mention on Australia here. Let's take a realistic look at Australia. We're a holiday island nation where nothing really happens. You know, mainstream media doesn't have much to report. Our population only makes up 0.3 of the world's population. So the truth is, Australia will go where the world goes. And we cannot deny the seismic shifts happening in the world today. We need to have a global perspective as we think about these things today. I'd like to start with a quote from an old woman I met in one of the most remote indigenous communities in uh, the Northern Territory, in Australia, actually. It's a place called Lajamanu and it's got a population of about 600, and it's at the edge of the Tanamai Desert. It was a busy morning outside the local store. Royalty meetings had brought people from surrounding communities, many hundreds of kilometres on dirt roads and highways into town, that's one of the roads in. They are all doing their shopping at once. Kangaroo tails were going out the door like there was no tomorrow. Dirty paths and roadways were filled with people, noise, dogs, motorbikes, cars noise everywhere, and as I stood there, I noticed an old lady sitting by herself. She was in an old wheelchair with off-road tyres on it that allows her to get around town with stability. She motioned for me to come over, so I came close to hear her because it was so noisy and she was so softly spoken. She told me a bit of her story. She said she'd become paralysed later in life due to some disease or condition that meant she was now confined to this wheelchair. For the rest of her life, she continued to talk about how she looks forward to meeting Jesus and being in heaven. And then she motioned for me to bring my ear closer so I didn't miss what she was about to say next. And with such peace and assurance in her eyes and face, she said, Jesus has solved everything in my life. I didn't quite expect that. An old, paralyzed woman in a remote, dry, and dusty community, sitting in a wheelchair amongst all the busyness around her. She possessed what everyone is looking for. In contrast, we have people today showing enormous stress, distraction, dysfunction and desperation with so much more to show externally than this woman and it's easy to see that man's problem is really in his soul. That's a picture of the um, the church area in town. I've taken the challenge this morning in the time allowed to think about the following question. If I could say just one thing to someone to bring authentic, lasting hope and encouragement to them, something that would be an anchor for their soul today, what would it be? After connecting with them, I'd lead to this statement Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's plenty to unanchor our soul ahead of us in the world. Many people are sensing change. Today I'm talking about how to make sense of that and taking a broad look at a few issues, tying together what we see in the world and how it's coming from a spiritual perspective, the spiritual condition of man actually, and being influenced either by God or taken advantage of by Satan or other influences. I've had concerns about this for quite a while as I saw things in the world weren't adding up. Things are not improving. Threats of war, instability everywhere, record weather events, people behaving in desperate and mindless ways, a faltering world economy. All that was just the start. And that was the easy part. The challenge was to find where it was all coming from. Is there a common thread and where's it all going? God's led me to do a great deal of study over 18 months in regards to these issues and I'm convinced we're in the time of the end as spoken about in the Bible, and the world has succumbed to great evil. Rather than be worried, I've found it has deepened my faith. God has become so much bigger in my life, and I'm freer than I've ever been, and more excited about the future. I want to encourage us today that despite where the world's going, what we have in Christ is powerful to save, and truly good news for souls. When we have an eternal perspective, everything is okay. Let's talk about the soul of man for a minute. We're created biblically. It's the biblical model of man, the spirit, soul, and body. The soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions. I touched a little bit on this in my last sermon. These deep needs that we have can only be met by God. These needs here, love, acceptance, assurance, significance, security, and total commitment. They're common to all people, And a person not submitted to God will try and is vulnerable to meeting these needs from outside. Anything that even hints at meeting those needs will get the attention of the lost and unanchored soul. The problem is rest never comes because outside sources are fleeting and unsustainable. I'll just add here that even as a Christian, if the door to Christ's life is closed like we discussed last time through pride and unbelief, we stop the spirit of God moving throughout our life. In fact, it can be worse because we've already experienced Christ's life and we've shut it off. The solution is coming to the end of ourselves in humility and saying, I have nothing for this situation. I'm a plant in a flower pot with nothing to help me. That humility says, I have nothing for this situation and faith says, well, I have a God within me. It's important to note that this makes someone vulnerable to the deception of Satan, having the door closed. And it makes man obsessive and relentless in the pursuit of having a God presence within. This has come from the fall. Adam and Eve made a choice to disobey God. This resulted in death and separation from God. And since we all came from Adam and Eve, we've been born into this problem. While the solution is provided in Christ, if we choose not to accept him, we're still left with unresolved needs. And so the obsessive and relentless pursuit begins to try and fill the God hole. Man tries to become God proudly and rebelliously and alone and the only way to be like God is to try and transcend our human limitations which has given rise to the term transhumanism. This very real pursuit is the driver of many technologies we see happening today. Man has rejected God and is therefore inventing ways to have him replaced. The reason this is important for us is that people are concerned today about what's going on. And if we're aware, we can lead very quickly from conversations about the world straight into the spiritual answer. And I'm, I'm coming across that all the time. It's on the forefront of people's minds. They're like, what is going on? It's a rabbit hole that has no end if we don't have Christ. So these technologies, by their very nature, are scoffing at what it means to be human and thus scoffing at God. We are made to be dependent on him, he is God and we are not, and we can rest in that. So, in the world, generally, people are feeling like their environment is kind of becoming a bit dehumanising. We're losing the essence of what it means to be human. And having time simply to relate and connect with people as humans is not valuable anymore. We're becoming separated and so-called independent. Alright, we've had a quick look at the soul. Let's look at Satan's agenda. That's transhumanism. Let's see what he's up to. He was created magnificent by God. He got proud and wanted to take God's place to have a kingdom and to be worshipped. His influence convinced a third of all created angels to side with him, but God cast them out of heaven. And Jesus, when he walked the earth, referred to Satan as ruler of this world. He's the enemy of a human soul. The Bible says... He prowls like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not just sitting by idly, head in his hands, waiting for his eternal sentencing to hell. Satan will promise a person looking for God-likeness to give him all the desires if he'll worship him. In fact, this is what happened at the temptation of Jesus. Satan, who had all kingdoms given to him, the Bible says, offered them to Jesus if he would just worship him. So this is an issue of worship. Remember also, he's the master of deception and the father of lies. So the truth is a soul is eternal and needs saving and the only way to be saved is not possible for man to ever achieve and Satan obviously can't offer it because he's going to hell himself. It took the very power of God himself to break the law of sin and death through his son Jesus and we have this amazing new law of the spirit of life in Christ that can be active in our lives. So as Christians we have authority over Satan in the name of Jesus but to the unsaved soul it can be used and influenced by him. So just a reminder, we're not battling against flesh and blood here, but against principalities and powers, according to the Bible. We must look at everything with spiritual eyes. So a lot of the issues in the world today are coming from these issues of the ungodly soul, unsaved soul, and Satan. But the truth is, of course, that none of this is out of God's control. All right, how does this look? In 2015... Maurice Newman, the Australian Prime Minister's Chief Business Advisor, said the following in a piece published in the Australian newspaper. He made the following comments in regards to global warming, which has now actually been called climate change, to blame anything that happens in the climate on humans. He said the UN was using false models showing sustained temperature increases to end democracy and impose authoritarian rule. The real agenda is concentrated political authority. Global warming is the hook. It's about a new world order under the control of the UN. It is opposed to capitalism and freedom and has made environmental catastrophism a household topic to achieve its objective. The downward spiral of man is looking like this. Wealth inequality favouring the elite. In fact, the top 1% in the world have more wealth than the rest of the world. Robotics and artificial intelligence, or AI, surpassing and eliminating the need for humans. The connection of humans to the system, and a complete reliance on a centralised government for handouts for food, and none of this reflects God's design for humanity. This is going over your head a bit, that's okay, we're going somewhere with it. The biannual Oxfam report shows that there are now just 62 people at the top who are as rich as the bottom half of the world's population combined. This number's fallen from 388 in 2010. Instead of redirecting wealth to the needy, it's become more concentrated among a select few. We're being asked to fork out $20 for a family, yet what's happening up at the top there? Where's that money going? The replacement of humans with robots is real. An Oxford University study has formed the basis of showing how likely jobs are to be replaced by robots. For example, accountants, insurance underwriters, and telemarketers have a 99% chance of being replaced, and there's a whole lot of other stats there. So can you see as we go how dehumanising this thing is? Okay, this is Nadine. She works as a receptionist at Singapore's Nanyang Tech University, and she's a humanoid robot. She's friendly, she greets you back, remembers your name and previous conversations, and exhibits personality, moods, and emotions. Uh, another robot there from China, that's a Chinese-Japanese robot. This one here is about three years old now. There's ten of these working in a a hotel in Japan that'll check you in and take your baggage up to your room. So how quickly is this going to happen? Let's have a look at Google. The reason jobs are being replaced by AI is that AI will literally surpass the ability of humans and gain what looks like consciousness in the very near future, and by that I mean just a few years. It might come as a surprise that Google's leading the way here, but it's one of the richest companies Google's taking advantage of free information from a billion humans using Google every day, otherwise called big data. And it's using it to drive its AI and robotics division. The director of engineering, Ray Kurzweil, is heading up a team developing machine intelligence. He's one of the world's leading inventors, thinkers, and futurists. In fact, Bill Gates calls him the best person I know at predicting the future. Of artificial intelligence, his opinion, according to an article in the Guardian in February 14, 2014, was that computers will gain what looks a lot like consciousness in a little over a decade, and that by 2045, which personally I don't think will last that long, computers will be a billion times more powerful than all the human brains on Earth. Google has since reduced this time frame even further since their AlphaGo success last year. Google's bought a heap of the best machine learning and robotics companies it can find, including the British firm DeepMind. And an investor in DeepMind was quoted as saying that Google has embarked on a Manhattan project of AI. Two of the programs of Google include NESD, which aims to develop an implantable connection to our brains, allowing unprecedented signal and data transfer between the brain and the digital world. That's a chip that goes into your brain that you can talk to your computer just by thinking about it. And maybe it can talk to you. I'd rather just go one way. Another program is ReNet, which seeks ways to reliably extract information from the brain allowing it to control complex machines. So now we're talking about brains simply controlling machines. And this is real research. Actually, that uh, started in 2013. Okay. The Internet of Things. Let's look at how this might progress. The Internet's a giant computer network that is growing. More and more things are being connected to it, including cars, phones, watches. TVs, fridges, surveillance cameras, banks, the whole thing, government, military, it's all there and can be accessed, and if it's connected, it can be hacked. That figure there, that one on the far right shows the figure is 50 billion things to be connected altogether by 2020. In 2015, Wired Magazine reported that two security researchers remotely hacked this Jeep onboard computer from a laptop 10 miles away in a controlled experiment, but it took over the dashboard functions, transmission, steering and brakes. Very exciting. And this caused it to fall in the ditch. No one was hurt, no one was injured, but it caused Chrysler to recall 1.4 million vehicles. And for those who didn't want to bring the vehicle in, they could get a USB sent to them and just plug it in the dash and update it. Or you can download it on the internet. So the final thing actively being pursued, this is important to be connected to this internet of things, is humans. That's not godly. Critics of AI such as Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla and founder of SpaceX, believes that humans cannot beat AI and the best path to take is actually a line of a truce, effectively entering it. He's looking at a neural lace that is injected and travels through our blood attaching to our brain and therefore connecting to a computer. And if you think that's futuristic and far off, scientists have already done it on mice. Now consider the merging of technologies we haven't covered, DNA modification, hybridization, quantum technology. What we have is possibly the world's best predictor of AI, predicting in what will now be less than seven years' time that computers will have gained consciousness, possessing all knowledge connected to all electronic things through the internet of things. And technology will exist to connect human brains to this system. Finally, having a centralised world government on the horizon and looking at a universal basic income, it's looking very interesting. So what's happening out of all this? One more quote before we move on to something positive. In August 2016, Victor Schwetz, the global strategist of investment bank Macquarie Group, was interviewed on current industrial trends. He's one of the guys at the top of the tree in terms of where funds and investment are going today. On the world economy, he says that the private sector will never recover. We're already looking at zero negative interest rates. And that the state will take over and assume more power. Here's one of his quotes on current investment trends. The biggest theme is declining return on humans. The replacement of humans. Biotech. Augmentation of humans. Opium for the people, like computer games and gambling. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Does this look a little more relevant now? And actually, the reason I'm having this talk this morning is not just to bring a a greatness to our faith, it's to show how such a light it is to this dark world. People are looking for answers and they're concerned. So what do we do? The time is short. We have a great opportunity coming to witness to many souls that will be searching and open for true solutions. I reckon it's about getting strong ourselves and love and encourage one another and help others get saved. The passage we read today is a great encouragement. Firstly, it reminds us that so many have gone before us, giving up the things of this world for something greater. To do this, we have to lay aside anything that hinders us, any connection of our soul to anything other than God. And this frees us up to run the race. Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And here's really the key thing How did he endure the cross? He was a human. How did he face death? And, and knowing what was ahead and go ahead with it. it. The key is found in this verse and it's fantastic. We're told in this passage, for the joy set before him. That's a huge key. How can some, it wasn't just willpower, it wasn't this, ama- You know, it, it's for the joy set before him. This is the key and this is how all the guys in the New Testament that are enduring and in the Old Testament goes through Hebrews before Hebrews 12. How did they do all this stuff? Because they were looking ahead past this life. And that's where our hope lies. I can't underline this enough right now. It's the only way we have sanity in this world. And we can let go of anything. Even the fear of hostility, rejection, anything else. This has been a great challenge to me, and continues to be, to really embrace the gospel and its calling. But the more I see into eternity, the more I'm encouraged to live light. The world's supposed to go crazy. The Bible tells us that. And after what we've looked at today, it's literally insane. We can call it that. Because it's unanchored souls looking to find a way to fill that hole. The reason these times are significant is that during these changes, I believe there's going to be a massive harvest time where people will come to know the truth of Christ. I want us to be ready for that. Remember, the earth is not even meant to last. 2 Peter 3.7 says that, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. 2 Peter 3.13 says, According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour. So we already have a passport to heaven. Colossians 3.1-3 says, so if you have been raised with Christ, here we are, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. It's about having spiritual eyes in everything we do, and this will stand out to everyone. 1 Peter 3.15 says, about always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. People are asking, what's that peace about you? Why are you so assured about this? What's going on? We have an assurance. It's real. People are going to wonder how we have hope. So let's be ready with testimony. Let's look at some application. The main thing is to know our identity. This is available on the internet. Many of you would have seen it. The identity in Christ. It's so important that we know who we are. The authority of heaven and earth tells us and has the authority to tell us who we are. The world doesn't. Nobody does. I came across that in China. People with persecution right in front of them. I talked to church leaders and business people. They didn't even bring it up. I had to bring it up. I said, what about this? And they're like, well, it's men. What can men do to me? It was just accepted and everyone got on with it. Also, a great witness I feel today is just having time for people. This is now counter-cultural, by the way, and even having decent conversations. I found these two things alone really, really minister to people. I had a chat last night. Some people, they just love the time and the clarity as a person that can see the world clearly and see the solution clearly. People are looking for that. They really are. There's just rubbish out there. Where do people get the answer from? There's nothing on TV. It is just distraction and mess, you know? So we have to realise the light and the, and the salt that we really are. And the more we look at the world, the more we realise how significant that is. People want safe people to talk to and to know that they're talking what they're talking about man searching to meet the unmet needs of the soul only God can fill. We're looking at a new heaven and a new earth with heavenly bodies as a family in the absence of all fear and control, anger and sadness and every negative emotion. It's a great message we have for people. By opening up our life to the life of Christ within us in a moment-by-moment way, we'll be a huge witness. Galatians 5.22 shows us what happens when we allow his spirit to reign in our life. The fruit of spirit is love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Isn't there a high price on that today? Imagine being able to offer that to someone. Authentic love? Authentic peace? So many more verses, but let's look at this. How is there a guarantee that with all the changes ahead in life, of which we've only looked at a few, that we can have authentic peace, love, life and hope? How is this made possible? How is it available to every person on the planet? It's Jesus. He's embraced all of humanity and all of heaven in one go, reconciling all of men to our Creator. He's truly the answer for the world today. This anchors our souls with the strength of God. It's great news for us, and I'm so excited to see what it means for others as they come to see this truth. Jesus, when being questioned himself by Pilate, said, He was not of this world. And that's us. We're not of this world. We must stop and meditate on that. Finally, my good friend says there's two foundational truths to the Christian faith. In this age of transhumanism and desire to go more and be more and get more and just this tense wheel that keeps going on. Two foundational truths. Number one, there is a God. And number two, you're not Him. Is that the best news? To someone who doesn't want to accept God and rebel, it's not. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. We don't have to be God. We can relax in our humanity, in all of our faults, in all of our weaknesses, in all of that stuff, because Christ is our sufficiency. That's the good news. Being human. We can relax. We're different, free, loved by God with an eternal future with him and each other. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's lose all hope in this world. Let's embrace our refugee status together, encouraging and loving one another. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Father, I just thank you, Lord, today that we can get around your word, Lord, and consider some things in the world. And Lord, how your gospel is so, so bright so full of life I pray that we'll be encouraged to open conversations up with people God excited about what we have to offer. In Jesus name amen I'm just going to consider a, uh, a clip and just meditate on these words and we'll finish up yeah.
2: When it's all been said and done There is just one thing that matters Did I do my best to live for truth? Did I live my life for you? When it's all been said and done treasures will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand Is so great that you. Show me, Heaven's my true home when it's all been said and done. You are my life when life is done. When it's all been said. just one thing.